0: Who you wit? Who you wit? Y'all know how we get started on this side. Quick roll call. Well, my Saints fans, my Falcon fans, my Buck fans, my Panther fans. Whether you keep and firing off them cannons, rising up and yelling out who that. Whatever you do to support your team, I'm just glad that you're here supporting me. I, Darian the mouth of the South, Gray, the one and only host of Point Blank, period. Recorded and coming to you live from the Jansport per usual. On Instagram, at underscore mouth of the South. On Twitter, at South Exclusive. Come talk to me. I hope y'all enjoyed y'all Thanksgiving, and I'm finally back. I took a little sabbatical. I took a little break, but I have returned, and it feels good to be back day after Thanksgiving. I hope you guys ate good. If you a turkey person, I hope you ate your turkey. Me, I'm not so much a turkey guy. That's not what I like to eat on Thanksgiving, and I'm starting to hear a lot of people uh, expressing the same sentiment. Turkey just not where it's at, but that's what, what you like. Eat your turkey, man. I'm here to talk football. I'm not here to critique food. I'll leave that, you know, to some people like Gordon Ramsey and whatnot. But what I'm here to talk about is Taysom Hill's debut as the starting quarterback. Yes, for all the jokes about being a third string tied in, this, that, and the third. He is a quarterback, guys. I'm here to talk about the Saints defense. I'm here to talk about the Carolina Panthers shutting out the Detroit Lions. And I'm here to talk about... The relationship between Bruce Arians and Tom Brady. And also how this is going to affect things going forward for all of these teams that I'm discussing. Because like I said, I was on a break and I missed my first podcast this week. So I kind of have to join it together. So bear with me and you know, just go along with the ride. So we're going to start off with Taysom Hill's debut. And I want to start it off with something that you do not hear from people frequently. I was wrong. I said Jameis Winston would be the quarterback and I felt definite. I was wrong. I said that putting Jameis in after Breeze got hurt just shows that they view him next up and Taysom is not a quarterback in their eyes. And once again, I was wrong. The plan the whole time if Breeze got hurt was to put Jameis in the game to finish it and then have Taysom start going forward. So now we're here. We're at Taysom's first start and he looked good. Better than I thought. I ridiculed him. I laughed at Taysom for throwing what was described by the announcers as a wobbly two-yard pass. And I won't be making that joke anymore because Taysom just made my laughter look foolish. And I'm not saying that he came in the game and looked like a Pro Bowl quarterback and it was just, that is our guy. He didn't come in there like a Justin Herbert, like a a Joe Burrow. He didn't come in just stun everything. No, but he came in and he proved that he had potential, that a lot of people, including myself, were not so sure that he had. So I like the way that they had him stand in the pocket. They didn't have him just always using his legs at all times. He looked calm. They worked heavy with play action. It took him a while to get comfortable in the game. You could tell that, you know, it was like it was his first start. Can you really be mad at somebody for that? But you could tell that. But after he got going, I think he really got going. You saw some good passes. You saw some bad passes. And let's knock out the bad first, right? Let's just go ahead and get that out the way. He had a terrible pass to Emmanuel Sanders. Did he get his leg hit? Yes. I don't know if, you know, if that's the excuse that you want to roll with. But, I mean, it happened, right? So, it it was a bad pass. The way that I make myself not worry about the deep ball struggle so much is I oppose it to Breeze. And I say, Breeze, just don't throw the deep ball. So, if Taysom is struggling... I guess we're about equal you know and I I don't I'm not gonna keep that mindset permanently that's just something that's gonna hold me over for a little bit because I do think that he gets it together um I think that he has the arm for it I don't expect a pass that bad to happen again so I do think that his arm strength is going to help the team get to that that third level on their high intermediate low concepts more frequently and I think that'll actually help the lower two as well. So let's get to the thing that I think is the biggest issue and that's the fumbles. The fumbles, that's that's the problem. Not so much I'm not so much worried about the the uh deep pass. Cause like I said I got something that can hold me over on that. But on this issue that he has with holding on to the ball. It didn't come back to hurt the team this week, but it's something that's gonna have to get under control. Because we've seen Taysom fumble and bite us in the butt against the Packers. Now he has more snaps as the full-time quarterback. There's more opportunities to lose that ball. And he has to do his best to hold on to it. That's the bad out the way. What I'm going to do now is get into the three plays, the three throws specifically, because I've seen him run. So nothing he did running, except for maybe that touchdown run that he had where he beat Deion Jones to the edge other than that none of this is noteworthy to me because I've seen it I'm not too surprised by it but there were three throws that showed me the most potential in Taysom Hill and I'm gonna start with the first one that was 13 56 left in the second they play action toss and they're working a deep cross to Michael Thomas and hey Michael Thomas is about to be the person on all three of these plays I'm not gonna sit here and hold the suspense. He is the target on every one of these throws because he was the favorite target of Taysom on the day. So after the fake, the pressure is coming right at Taysom because he he pitches out and he kind of rolls to his left. Or excuse me, to his right, excuse me. And the pressure is coming off of his right side. He kind of just shuffles to the left a little bit, just enough to allow the route to fully develop. And then he throws it down the field and sends it to Michael Thomas. And the defender is right there about to hit his throwing arm. So it wasn't much room, but he was able to throw it. And I thought that was impressive because it showed his patience, showed his poise. I appreciated that. Play number two, 426 left in the same quarter. Once again, there's play action. Like I told you, there was a lot of play action in the game plan, and I expect that to be the case going forward. 426 left in the second quarter. Kamara chops down a blitzer. But Taysom still has to step forward a little bit to avoid him. Then he slightly slips to the side to avoid Nick Easton, And he rockets the ball to Michael Thomas. I think this is personally my favorite play that he had. Because he did all of this and he kept his eyes downfield. And with a guy who can run as well as Taysom can, you know how easy it would have been after stepping up that first time to take off? It would have been even easier after you slip past Nick Easton to just take off. You're right there at the line of scrimmage. But instead, he keeps his eyes downfield. And he showcases this pocket presence that I did not think that he was going to have. I did not expect that at all. I would have fully expected him to take off right there. So he rocked that ball to Michael Thomas, and I think that may be my favorite throw of Taysom on the day. And then the final play is 13-23 left in the third quarter, and it may not look like anything spectacular, but it impressed me. And it's just a nine-yard slant to Michael Thomas. The Saints are not – you don't have to play action and work 15, 20 yards down the field every play in this Saints offense. That's not how – The Saints operate. It's a much more, it's a West Coast offense, a lot more timing. So this was indicative of what you would have seen from Drew Brees. You know, so it's a nine-yard slant. Deion Jones is coming free up the middle and hits hits Hill as he lets it go. But Hill still puts the ball on the outside shoulder that at first look may seem like, man, kind of threw that ball behind Michael Thomas, good grab. But actually, he put it on that outside shoulder because he had to. Because he had to avoid the other linebackers sliding over. Like I said, it's a very routine play that you would have seen from Drew Brees. We see it all the time. But it's just showing Taysom's ability to play with full awareness, even with the rush hitting him. It was impressive. I expect to see more rush from Denver this week on him. Fully expect that. But whether it's using his legs to extend the play, throwing on the run, using play action, or remaining calm under pressure, these are all traits shown in a Falcons game that he should try to carry over to mile high. And if you want a little extra tip, Taysom, keep throwing that ball to Michael Thomas. He's the best in the game for a reason. You utilize him and success will come on. Now, as good as Taysom was, and he's probably the headline. When you get lower into the article and deeper into the article, you're going to see the story of the game. And that's the Saints defense holding the Atlanta Falcons to nine points. That's a huge story. Just as big as Taysom. And I know it was a long time ago because my podcast was a while before I took this break. But I said the Falcons are not a bad team. At least not as bad as their record shows. They for sure don't have a bad offense. The, The defense is bad. But the offense is not bad. And that one makes this uh, performance even more impressive and you want to add a little cayenne kind of on how, imp- how impressive this performance was the new orleans saints did it without marshawn Lattimore, the number one corner patrick robinson filled in admirably as he has all year things were assisted slightly by julio jones missing most of the game after re-aggravating his hamstring but that does not take away from the performance of the Saints secondary in the slightest I think Janoris Jenkins played his best game as a Saint, and it was on Calvin Ridley, who has had a really good year this year. The one big play that he did give up was a deep ball to Calvin Ridley on the first drive, and he fell down on that play. And he was going step for step before that, and then he just fell down, head over heels. But I loved everything that he did from that point on. He was consistently getting his hand on the ball, and he dropped the interception, got his hair yanked. But he caught that next one, though. It was just an impressive display from the secondary all around. You didn't see any mental bust that just jumped off the screen. And there's a reason that the Falcons did not score a touchdown. And for the second game in a row, they have taken down Matt Ryan for eight or more times. And this defense was dominant. No, touchdowns, not a point in the second half. I have to continue to iterate that they did not score a touchdown because they got in the red zone. (laughs) And we all know that the Saints have not been great in the red zone. Yet they did not allow a touchdown. And another thing that I'll continue to say is that this defense is so much better. And I mean so much better with Marcus Davenport. I just think that he's the glue that helps put this unit together. Even, Even when his presence isn't immediately seen or apparent in the box score. It's just something about having Marcus Davenport there. That just gives this team a boost. And when you look at the games where the team has performed well, and you listen to the commentary when they talk about the change of the defense, typically they don't start at at that Tampa Bay game. They start talking about at week six. That coincides with the return of Marcus Davenport. And while Davenport is the glue, the breakout star is Trey Hendrickson. Just another showing of how impressive that 2017 draft was. Hendrickson, the guy that we're talking about right now. Anzalone, though Quan Alexander came and took his spot, he was a serviceable starter when healthy over the last couple of years. Kamara is Kamara. Marshawn Lattimore, Marshawn Lattimore, and Ryan Ramchek, man, is really one of the best, if not the best, right tackles in the league right now. And that all came out of one draft. That's crazy to me. That is so crazy to me. Henderson recorded two sacks on a day and is now tied for the league lead in sacks. Cam came back to sack his favorite quarterback. You know, Matty Meltz was not, was not happy <laughs> with all the pressure that was in his face. He started holding on to the ball too long, but that's a story for a little bit later. Now Cam Jordan is the only player in NFL history to ever sack one quarterback more than 20 times. This unit is showing up and dominating is a big reason for the newfound success of the team. And I mentioned the secondary plan lights out earlier and how that has helped. But there's one more unit to mention, the linebackers. And the addition of Quan Alexander has worked wonders for this team. You see a difference in the freedom of Demario Davis with how he plays. And Quan's coverage has really helped. Because that was the main talking point when they were talking about signing him. Fans were talking about, oh, we finally got a a coverage linebacker. And I felt... Happy with that signing for the Saints because I thought he could be a difference maker, which is something that Ale- Alex Angeloni just was not to me. He was not a difference maker. He was serviceable. Nothing wrong with that. Nice piece, but you could upgrade. And Quan Alexander has upgraded. This week, the Falcons tight ends caught zero passes. And running backs last fullbacks caught two passes for only seven yards. I think that's indicative of the skill set of Quan. I'm looking forward to see how Noah Fant is defended next week. And the last thing that I want to say about Kwan, so I'm not just going crazy, like just going all in about him, is I don't want to understate how smart this man is because Coach Payton has said that he feels like he's been here for eight weeks already. I think he's been there for two and a half. <laughs> for Quan to make that type of impression in that short of a time is impressive to me, especially seeing that people love to talk about the defense as if it's this complicated scheme that Has so many mental busts. So for him to grasp it that quickly with no mental bust, kudos to him. Now I want to show you before we get out of here for vibe of the week. I want to show you how all three of these units come together. And I wanna show you on a Trey Hendrickson sack. It's only right. He's the breakout player. It's only right that I highlight one of his sacks to show my point of the offense. I mean excuse me, the secondary, the linebackers, and the defensive line all coming together. Matt Ryan bootlegs out. And this is something that the Saints have struggled with all year. The bootlegs were were dangerous for them. But this time when he rolled out, Demario Davis had the tight end handled. Quan Alexander had the backside running back handled. Now you see how the linebackers did their job. In the secondary, they executed a perfect switch with Janoris Jenkins and uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson. And the rest of the secondary held their man. So everybody was plastered and there was nowhere for Matt Ryan to go. That's impressive because nine times out of ten, this year... Matt Ryan would have been able to easily go to that tight end. that right there shows the improvement in the awareness of the defense. And then, of course, Trey Henderson gets the sacks, And that's just representative of the game last week. The defensive line got after the quarterback. And the coverage was good enough for them not to have to get there right away. And there was a bunch of coverage sacks where Matt Ryan's like, I have nowhere to go with the ball. So he ended up just going down. Now... That's it for the Saints. I think I'm very excited to see what they can do against uh, the Denver Broncos, a team that's been up and down, a team that threatened or won against the Miami Dolphins and made them pull their quarterback. Let's see what they do with Taysom Hill in his in his second uh, start, and let's see if they can put up as many points as they did on Miami, who was also a good defense. Now they're going against the Saints, so let's get in the vibe of the week, and I'll be back with Point Blank Period.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it goes like this right here. It's like, uh, I always be hollering, peace, you know what I'm saying? Peace, my brother, peace this, peace that, you know what I'm saying? But every time I, I uh, try to get a peace of mind, Liggins try to get a peace of mind. So I gotta grab my peace. It's the return of the Gangsta, Gangsta The tickets that's on that blow that run up in your crib Which contains your lady and an 8-month-old child to raise plus you true blue by this music But they do not want to hear Because they'd rather be bouncing and shooting and killing And bouncing this is shit down Return of the gangsta, gangsta. Different that think y'all soft and say y'all be gospel rapping, but they be steady clapping when you talk about if the switches go off and clothes And e, Let's talk about time traveling, round javelin, something mind unraveling. Get down. Return of the gangsta, gangsta. Different kids that got them kids, they got enough to buy an ounce, but not enough to bounce them kids to the door to the park, so they grow up in the dark, never seeing light, till they end up being like your sour ass, robbing get them broad ass they Like get down. Return of the gangster, gangsta If they get the wrong impression of expressions, in the question is speak. but what's up with Andre is he in the qua? Is he gonna drugs? Is he gay? When y'all gonna break up, when y'all gonna wake up again, I'm feeling better than ever. What's wrong with you? You get down.
0: Welcome back to Point Blank period. I am Darien, the mouth of the South Gray, and we're gonna get into the Carolina Panthers ever so briefly. Because they just shut out and beat. The Detroit Lions, 20 to nothing, with their backup quarterback and their backup running back. I didn't think they was going to win this game. I told you guys, I think two weeks ago, I I don't know, but I think I said like two weeks ago, Christian McCaffrey don't play this game, they're losing. So I had that feeling before I even knew Teddy Bridgewater was going to be gone. So when Teddy was gone, I for sure thought that the Panthers were losing this game. But what I did not expect was for the defense to come out and pitch a shutout. And when your defense doesn't allow a point, you won't win that game 10 times out of 10. (laughs) I still think that Christian McCaffrey should be shut down, but that doesn't mean there has to be a dark cloud over the season. Exactly the opposite. I think this was an extremely bright ray of light for the defense. And the effort was led by Brian Burns, who I feel is going to be the catalyst of change for this team. I genuinely do. Um, I think that he'll be a big part of the reason why we may look at the Panthers in two years and say that they were not rebuilding when they got Matt Rule. They were just reloading. I think that you got Derrick Brown and Jeremy Chin. Uh, Gros Matos is a guy who I think will continue to contribute, just give him some time. We've seen Derek Brown, though. We've seen Jeremy Chin. And now we've seen Brian Burns, who wasn't in this draft, but nonetheless is a young player for them. If they can get, and I think Shaq Thompson's a good player too, by the way. I know he's been there for a while, so we're not really discussing those kind of guys. They can get another cornerback. I think that they're going to be really good. And I think we may just look at them instead of reloading, but all of it will come from Brian Burns because a really good edge rusher is a really powerful thing. He, re- he received NFC Dis- Defensive Player of the Week for his performance in last week's game against the Lions where he tallied up two sacks four quarterback hits. And he said that his favorite sack was when they just didn't block him. And he said he was tired, so it was great that they just didn't block him. Well, I'm going to tell you this, Mr. Burns. You better cherish that because I don't expect that you will be getting that treatment for much longer. I don't think that people will be forgetting to block you. I think they will be making sure that they do. I think you will go from somebody who may have been forgotten on that one sack. He's already somebody that they try to block. But on that one sack, you were forgotten to somebody who they are focusing on stopping in that pass rush. Because I do think that he is that good. And I think that they have a, a pretty good pass rusher down there in North Carolina. I'm excited to see what they can do going forward. And then last thing that I want to talk about is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And they've lost another primetime game, now sitting at 1-3. They are completely clear that they think this is a problem. You know, they Arians had night practices to attempt to get the team more acclimated to playing in primetime. That did not work. So with the loss comes the question of why did they lose? Though I think Tom Brady not shaking Jerry Goff's hand after the, after the game is a talking point and should be addressed because that's it's just not how things operate. I won't be the one who dives deeply into it, at least not on this show. But like I always say, come talk to me. I'll be glad to discuss it. But when I first got into this topic of talking about why they lost and wanted to talk about it, I wanted to call it Tom Brady versus Bruce Arians because that's sometimes how it feels. It feels like it's Brady versus Arians, not Brady and Arians, because it feels like there's two sides. They're not two partners on the same team, but they're two separate entities that one has to pick between. And I'm here to say that I don't think that's the case, which is why I'm not looking at it that way, though it may seem that. The reason I really feel this way is because the analysts, when they discuss the Buccaneers struggle, I mean a lot of people, and when I'm first thinking about people who talk like this, Dan Ovlowski is the one who jumps out to me. We'll preach about how the offensive scheme is restricting the offense. And I'm not saying that it's completely not a problem, but what I am saying is saying this the only problem, is wrong. And let me say this, if you're a Brady guy, like if you're somebody who wants me to come in here and defend Brady, just give it a little bit. I'm not going to just put all the blame on Brady because, like I just said, it goes both ways. But right now, I'm going to speak up for B.A. And I can't get down with this idea that if the play calls were better, that the team's problems would magically be cured. Here's another thing that people are complaining about is Brady struggling to throw deep. But that is Bruce Arian's offense. It's no risk it, no biscuit. Part of the appeal of Brady going to Tampa was the fact that he would be able to air it out. He would be able to let it loose. And I don't think that now that he is struggling, it's time to shame Arians for continuing to do what he has done for years. This is, mind you, it's not like he's, uh, what's that guy in Cincinnati? I can't even think of his name right now. It's Zach something, I think. But it's not like he's one of those guys who's just been there for a couple of years. Bruce has been around for a long time doing this. So the audacity of people to just try to make him not have a vertical scheme because Tom Brady is struggling. I don't I'm not I can't get down with that. If the vertical passing game is struggling, I don't look to BA and say, "Why are you doing this?" I look at Brady and say, "Why aren't you doing this well?" But this brings me to my next point. And now, for my Brady Hollicks, my Tampa guys, I'm defending Tom Brady. If Brady is struggling to throw the deep ball, which he is, Arians has to make some intermediate and short routes earlier in Tom's progression. In an Arians offense, it goes top-down like a vertical. Dang, like a convertible, excuse me. I had been working on that line, too. I was mad I messed it up. That was supposed to be the line, like for real. Anyway, <laughs> it goes top-down like a convertible. So naturally, they have a tendency to get vertical. That's why I was messing it up. But there's more deeper shots. Because like I said earlier, that is his system. But Arians has to help and realize that he needs to incorporate some concepts that make his offense, I guess, kind of shrink while still being his offense. Because your team will benefit. That's on the coach to realize, okay, my quarterback is struggling to throw deep. Let me start making maybe some 10-yard reads. You know, everything doesn't have to go deep. But in a post-game press conference, Bruce Arians said that Tom Brady has gotten confused by some coverages. And though I talked about Dan Ovaloski earlier in a negative light, he did make a good point. Uh, you're supposed to help that. You're the coach. And I understand that Brady is the GOAT. The GOAT. <laughs> but realize that we're comparing him to an animal and not the Lord and Savior. Nobody's saying that he's... He's Jesus. Anybody saying he's the football Jesus. People are saying he's the goat. The greatest of all time. A simple animal. He is capable of making mistakes. But if you, Bruce Arians, see that he's getting confused with some coverages. Then you should probably give him some assistance. Because though you may not feel like you're at blame. Or you may feel like he's more at blame than you. I'm pretty sure that regardless of who's blame, You have the same goal. And that's to win the game. So if his confusion is keeping you from winning the game. Don't just say that's not my problem. Go help him because it is, because you're the coach. Um, And now that I'm done, you know, putting blames with both sides, and that is the message I want to convey, that it's both sides holding back the bucks, not just one. Both sides have to be better. I, I want to stay on Bruce Arian's comments in the media, and I, I feel like this is the complete opposite of how he addressed Jameis Winston. And I could be wrong. And if I am wrong, please tell me. But I don't remember him putting so much blame on Winston. I remember him so more backing and defending Winston until the end of the year. He has not given Brady the same luxury. Could it be because Jameis has been a guy who's been criticized his whole career? And Brady has is a, is a guy who's been applauded? I'm not quite sure the reason, but regardless, I don't like it. Take the names out. I don't like the quarterback being thrown under the bus. By the coach. I don't care if it's freaking. Doug Marone and. And Blake Bortles. I don't want to hear Doug Marone throwing Blake Bortles under the under the bus. But because, you know, it's Tom Brady and his he has a higher status than Bruce Arians. A lot of people seem to get offended that he would even dare to speak about Tom Brady. No, he's the coach. That is the quarterback. I don't care about what the names are. But just stop throwing your quarterback under the bus. Allow him to come in the presser and say that he messed up. And talk to him in private. That's how I would have handled it. Because this is doing nothing to the relationship to help. I, I think it may hurt. Maybe. It really just depends on how thick of a skin, you know, that Tom Brady has. But, yeah, this is not beneficial to the relationship. And I saw somebody say that Peyton would never do this to Breeze. And you know what? You spot on right. He would never do this to Breeze. But I got to thinking. When Breeze is mad, he does his little one shoulder shrug or roll thing. It's very small, but after years I can tell, like, okay, this dude's kind of upset. Like, I knew he was mad after he took that hit that fractured more of his ribs against San Francisco. I could just kind of tell that he was not happy at that moment. But he wasn't yelling. He goes to the sideline and he talks To whoever he was mad at, calmly. But you look at Brady. He's the get in your face, rah, rah, yell at you on the sideline. The camera's going to catch it. His frustrations are put on front street. And I got to thinking. After years of him yelling and putting everybody on blast in front of everybody. Now that he has a coach who does the exact same to him. It's kind of (laughs) poetic. And though I wouldn't move like that, and I still don't like it. I think Bruce Arians should not be throwing his quarterback under the bus. He even came out and said when the quarterback plays well, we play well. Bruce, it seems like you're trying to deflect and avoid any kind of blame being put on you. Well, newsflash, doing what you're doing right now, it ain't working. They still blame you, buddy. So that's not working. So I don't like it, and I think he should stop it. But I do find it kind of ironic and poetic. And I promise to y'all, I ain't gonna be gone as long as I was last time. But until the next time that you do hear me, run it back. Mendarian Gray, the mouth of the south, point blank period.